0: available to us, that, that not only can we go to you, but you have come to us in Jesus. So, Father, in his name we gather, in his name we learn and listen, and in his name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Please have a seat this morning. So glad to have you with us. I'm, I'm John Davis. I'm the pastor here at Common Ground Community Church. You may not recognize me. Uh, uh, I'm 15 years younger than I was last week. Baptist pastor and his wife decided we need to get a dog and so they they were talking about it they were researching breeds and they were finding people who had you know dogs that they may want and they they said well you know what no matter what we do we're gonna have to make sure this dog is a Baptist and so they found a breeder who claimed to have Baptist dogs and so they 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 went to him and he says now how can we test this and he, he tells the dog he says go uh, go go fetch a bible so the dog runs and he grabs a bible and he, he comes in and he says now find the 23rd psalm and he opens the bible the 23rd psalm now find ezekiel 42 and he finds ezekiel 42 and after several different tricks the dog has found multiple scriptures the pastor and his wife are convinced this dog is a baptist and so they take this puppy home and they and they, they, they 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 have friends over for dinner one night and they're telling them about this dog and they're showing them all these tricks and the they tell the dog, go fetch a Bible, and he goes and fetches a Bible, and they're, they're throwing all these passages out there, and they're opening up, the dog's finding all these things. And one of the guests says, well, does the dog know any other tricks? And they said, well, we don't know. We haven't really tried. And, and so the Baptist pastor looks at the dog, and he says, heal. And about that time, the dog jumps up on the table, puts his paw on the pastor's forehead, and starts howling. And the pastor says, oh, no, we've got a Pentecostal. You know, we we scoff and we laugh at things like that because that's the only way we can sometimes reconcile gifts like healing and like casting out of demons and, and like all some of these things that we read about in Scripture we don't fully understand very well. Other denominations do that, but we don't do that. Uh, different people, the charismatics, and we got all these different these different labels and and places where it's acceptable over there, but don't do that over here. And we kind of make light of it sometimes in particular in showing our ignorance and showing what we don't know uh, about different things or showing maybe what we've refused to learn about or we've just kind of found a definitive line and saying, well, that's what they do and I don't do that or whatever. So this morning, I want to bring you in a little bit this morning because we're going to touch on something In the scriptures that that can be very challenging and has been very challenging and is very challenging. And one of the reasons why it's very challenging is because lots of people have opinions regarding this, and many of those opinions are actually shaped and formed and passed on generationally through folklore and through oral tradition, but they're not necessarily rooted in scripture. Secondarily, one of the the challenges that we're going to face this morning with with some of the topics is that, that it makes people very uncomfortable. And it makes people uncomfortable because uh, you you have a certain way of thinking about it or you're decided that it's this or you have such a history, perhaps a habitual history in this, um, that, that any um, conversation to the contrary of what you think to be true or what you have just lived out is, is going to bring about some resistance and maybe some, some negativity to that. So before I, I get into this, let me just say this. I, I don't plan to resolve all of those conflicts this morning. I I, I could care less about actually winning an argument this morning either about what is and what isn't right. I've studied enough and prayed enough to get to the place to say, I'm going to try to to address this according to what we can see in the scripture, but not get into such depth of this. But secondarily, I want you to also know that the the topic we're about to touch on a little bit, um, it's very real it's it's very challenging um it's very powerful in a lot of ways and so i, I want to make sure that we approach this with it the proper level of of sincerity the proper level of consciousness uh, to the scriptures on this but also understanding um, i claim not to be an expert and i don't say that to get me off the hook i'm just telling you this is a challenging passage a challenging place for us to be and, and it will impact each and every one of us on some level that we might need to with this morning and so before I even get there just know this God is supreme and 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 he has full authority in our lives if we will but submit to that okay now he already has it but it sure is a whole lot easier when we submit to that okay and and so this morning I want want to talk to you a little bit about 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 demons and I I, I want to bring this up and I'm going to put a, a slide up here and I want you to see the difference between possession and influence. And I'm going to start this morning by kind of going there to help us understand where I'm coming from so that maybe as we get into the Scripture a little more. Now, I believe, and I think the Scripture speaks to this, that a believer cannot be possessed by a demon but can be influenced by a demon. And the reason being is the Holy Spirit seals that believer forever and ever, but that doesn't mean that believer stops sinning after that. Now, the sin would be a choice that is influenced by evil spirits, dark forces, or demons. Demons are spiritual creatures like angels, probably fallen angels that went after the rebellious Lucifer, who we would know as Satan. They're not created because one of the challenges we get into when we talk about when someone dies, they become an angel. That's not true. They don't because if they were bad, would they become a demon, right? Demons have some power because they're spiritual, But they are not omnipotent. They are not omniscient. They cannot be all places at all times and know all things. They also are under the authority of the master they serve and the authority that their master is under as well. And so what I mean by that is that demons do what their master, the devil, Satan, tells them to do, but God still has authority over him. What one thing all demons do know about the future is how everything's going to end for them a lake of fires prepared for them to be cast into with their father, the devil. And so when we look at this, we see that that, that the difference between possessed and influenced is you have an unbeliever and a believer. So a believer can still be influenced by evil spirits, as they're often referred to in the scripture, by demons, as they're often referred to in the scripture. They can be influenced by. Now, if you're wondering if that's really possible, you are all influenced by something all the time. And I would just say, If you go looking for a snake, eventually you'll find one, right? And if we're not careful, we water it down too much, and we put everything into this realm of darkness. It's all demonic possession. Let let us not get our own choices off the hook. We can do evil on our own, but we are influenced to do evil. And sometimes we make that choice. As believers, we're influenced but not possessed by. The other difference that we might see, too, is that that possession... Is taken right whereas influence is is given we we listen to we buy into we water down we compromise if you will and we allow for demonic influence to to we give it over to them so that we can buy into this some of some of our worst habits some of our worst sinful habits they're not that the devil is making me do that because he can't make me do anything but I give in to that. I'm influenced by it in such a way. And then I begin to normalize things. And they become habits as well. We also see that, that, that the difference is that we, there's a subjected versus surrendered, right? And so with possession, what we see is that someone is subjected constantly to that, whereas we almost have surrendered to a new authority as a believer, to dark forces, to, to demons. So like we surrender that authority to them so that, that it looks as if they're controlling our life, when really what we said is, you can control my life. And we get there a long ways, right? We don't just immediately give that over. Now, now, I know some of you may be asking questions and wondering a little bit, too. Well, You know, um, when we get into things like uh, 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 diseases and illnesses and mental disorders and stuff like that, there's a lot of conversation about where those things come from. And I think we should be honest about understanding that we live in a fallen world. Our Our bodies and our minds are not what they're supposed to be until we are fully reconciled through Jesus at the cross. And so we're going to be subjected to illnesses. We're going to be subjected to injuries. I mean, you think about someone who gets hit by a car accidentally. They, they could have done everything right, but someone else made a choice or a decision or something happened in this world. We don't have to assign that to demonic influence or possession, do we? But for some, it may be easier to do so, but it doesn't necessarily make it true or right because it's easier for us to reconcile that. Okay, and then finally, I just want us to understand there's there's that control versus that temptation. Right. We're in a constant state of being tempted by evil spirits, by demons when we're believers, especially when we are trying to do something against the forces of darkness. Okay, because one of the scariest places for a believer is when they're not being tempted, when they're not being tested, they're not being tried to do something contrary to what Scripture wants them to do because they're of no threat to them. Neutrality, actually, is probably one of the best tools of the enemy. They don't have to get you doing bad. They just have to get you doing nothing, all right? And so as we talk about this, I want to frame your mind a little bit to just help you understand that I do believe that demons exist. I do believe they're evil spirits, but I also know, according to the Scripture, that even those evil spirits and those demons are under subjection of the Lord God Almighty because they are created creatures, and he is the ultimate authority even in their lives. They're given room to do because God still gives us free will. He still gives us choice. He also gives us tools. He also gives us equipment. He gives us armor to protect ourselves against all the things on the right side of that as well, too. And so what we're going to find this morning, as we open up the book of Mark, we're going to look at a situation by which Jesus encounters an evil spirit and a man with an evil spirit. And we're going to look at at how the the authority of Jesus always solicits a response. And so if you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 34. There's actually probably two paragraphs in your Bible. And and we're going to see that Jesus's ministry is just coming into... John has just been arrested, and and as we studied last week, immediately Jesus went out and began to proclaim, and he began to to speak in all these places, and the gospel began to move forward, and he brought about a call to discipleship, inviting people to come and to follow him, and I will make you become fishers of men. He didn't say that you're going to be fishers of men. I'll make you become, which tells us that discipleship has within it some activity, we're going to see two instances in this passage alone where Mark again uses that word immediate. He actually uses it twice. He'll use it 40 times throughout the entire book of Mark. There's an urgency behind what Mark tells us because Mark tells us what Jesus did, not just what Jesus said. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, let's, let's begin in verse 21. And we're going to read this whole passage here. And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Father, as we look at aspects of this scripture, I pray God first and foremost that we would open our hearts and our minds to your truth, not to our superstitions and to the things that that we think are true. Father, I pray that you would help us to see what you say is true and to shape our minds and our hearts around that. Secondarily, Lord, I pray that this morning you would help us to understand that the full authority comes from you alone, and that when we submit to your authority, things may not always be easy, but we know the outcome of that. Lord, as we look at some of the things that happened in the past in the Scripture, Father, I pray we don't just teach this as a historical event, but also just the reality of what really happened then and continues to happen today in our worlds. Open our minds and our hearts to the Lord and help us to be more like Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to show you a couple of responses to authority that we just saw in that passage of Scripture. And I've got, I've got them up here all in one slide. And I want you to kind of see some things as we walk through pieces of this. So if you're following along in your Bible, feel free. If you're flipping pages, feel free by all means. But I want to show you what kind of happens. First of all, what we see is that That Jesus immediately walked into the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now, this is really interesting because on the Sabbath, we don't work. In fact, the synagogue would be in all these little towns. There might actually be multiple synagogues in the larger towns because Jews were only permitted to travel a certain distance on the Sabbath. Because to travel any further than that would be work. And so even today, if you were to go to to Israel and you go to some of these towns, you might see a wire set up at the front of a neighborhood that's got a little card on it that, that says that if you live in this neighborhood, if you walk past that card on the Sabbath, you are committing work and you are therefore violating one of the Ten Commandments to keep on the Sabbath and keep it holy, to do no work on that. And so... What Jesus was doing was he was in, uh, in Nazareth of Galilee, right, and he's there, and it's time for him to teach. Now, this is also really interesting, too, because the synagogues are a place that people would gather to worship, kind of what we do. They did no sacrificing or anything like that. That was all done in the temple, and those were done on specific times, and you wouldn't travel on the Sabbath. You would get there before the Sabbath. The Sabbath would be sundown Saturday, or Friday to sundown uh, uh, Saturday, as we would look at it. And so it would be sundown to sundown, right? And so that whole time would be the Sabbath. But what's really interesting is that Jesus came into the synagogue, and immediately he began to teach. And he taught as one with authority, not like the scribes. Now, this is why this is important. Throughout the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, you're going to see that word scribes a lot. And nobody really explains what that means. But I'm going to try to help you this morning to understand what's going on here. It was not uncommon for lay leaders on the Sabbath to come and open the scriptures and to give just a reading and maybe just the tiniest bit of understanding and preaching to people. The scribes, however, were very different. We would actually look at scribes and we would see them as pastors today, only by this measure. The scribes would have an education. They would have sat under a rabbi. And they would more or less say that I was a follower of Gamaliel or I was a follower of, of, of Duda or whoever the guy may be. And they would, they would teach in such a way that all they would do is essentially regurgitate what the greater minds before them had taught them. And so when they would come in, they would say, this morning I'd like to read to you something that Matt Chandler said or something that, that, that uh, what's the guy over at Second said or, you know, or, or one of these big preachers. And, and all of their sermon, all of their teaching would be under the authority of what all these bigger names had said. And so when they would come in, they didn't preach with any authority that they had. They preached with the authority that someone else had given them, right? And here Jesus walks in, and he didn't even bother to name drop he just begins to teach. Now, what's interesting about Mark is he doesn't tell us what he taught. They just all noticed that he taught with authority. And when that authority arrived, everybody took notice of that. The first thing it shows is that they were astonished by his teaching. And so when authority walks in and truth starts being taught, immediately people have this tendency to, to question this. Like, where's this guy teaching this from? Where did, how does He's a lay person just like all the rest of us. Who is this guy that he teaches with such authority? And lay leaders versus scholars would be a big difference in how they taught, but here they are saying, everybody knows, this, does anything good come from Nazareth? And there's this Jesus teaching with such authority. And what happens in the midst of that is the astonishment of that, they're starting to go, now, wait a minute, because here, here's where this doorway starting to open, right? What you're saying to me is that if this common man, this Jesus, whoever he may be, can come in and teach with such authority, that he can gain with such knowledge and understanding and the opening of the scripture, maybe the rest of us might also have access to that too. That we don't have to be, we don't have to be under the teaching of this scribe. We don't have to just be under the authority. Like, like we can't come and know the Bible. We can't come and know the scripture unless someone else gives it to us, right? This is actually one of the things that led to the Great Reformation, the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s was that instead of only everything being in Latin, we started teaching it in English and in different languages, and the the people learned to read and write and read their Bibles for themselves. Now, it's not to say that they all got it right, but it is to say that what we recognize is that authority comes from God, not from knowledge. Lots of us can possess knowledge and go and acquire it, but Jesus, God himself, is standing there amongst the laity and he's teaching. The people are responding and begin to ask questions about that. Secondly, what we see is it that the authority is challenged because, again, Mark says immediately there was in the synagogue, now catch this for just a minute, immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you, catch this, watch the pronouns for a second, what have you have to do with us? Wait a minute, What's what do you have to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth called him out by name. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is really, this is fascinating to me. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna nerd out for just a minute. You have to forgive me for a second. There was a demon possessed dude in the synagogue, and nobody noticed it for I don't know how long. Are, are you catching this? Hey, bro, good to see you, man. How was your week? Welcome to church. So glad. To, how are you? There was a demon-possessed guy in the synagogue, and nobody had noticed it before. Are you you catching on? Nothing holy about that place. It didn't stop him from getting in. The people didn't ostracize him. In fact, we were chums, we were buddies, but, but look what happened here. The first thing, it says immediately this happened. As soon as Jesus began to teach and authority was on display, immediately somebody says, I'm going to challenge this authority. And he did something that is common even in today's world. He called him out by name, this demon does, with the hopes of trying to acquire some sort of power over him. We we do that today. You ever get mad at somebody at, at a retail or a, a restaurant or whatever, and you want to talk to the manager, and as soon as you get the manager, you go from the definite article, the manager, to Todd... Let me tell you, Todd, what happened today. Let me tell you how bad service was today, Todd. Let me tell you, you you see what I'm saying? Kids, mom ever call you by your full name? That's authority, right? It's authority coming with a hammer too, right? When, When I got in really bad trouble, I got my stepfather's last name. I was John Mark Melton and it was on then, right? And mom immediately by calling out my name called authority over me and I knew what was happening. And this demon, dumb as he was, that nobody knew, by the way, calls him Jesus of Nazareth, and then he says, "What do you have to do with us? Have you come to destroy us?" Look, here's the only thing demons know for certain about the future is that one's going to come and is going to put an end to them. And he recognized them. Anybody else catching a problem here? The first one who recognized Jesus of Nazareth was a demon, not the people in the synagogue. That's an issue because their people had been looking for him for hundreds of years. And immediately Jesus looks right at him and addresses him, and he actually uses the term the Holy One of God, which is only used by one other person in the entire Bible, and that's Samson, who would go in and destroy the Philistines, the opposition to the people of Israel. And so here's this demon who is recognizing Jesus, and he calls him out by name, trying to get some authority over him, and Jesus just kind of looks at him, and and he says this in the next, because he he recognizes this, he says to him, be silent and come out of him. Hey, hey, don't don't use my name. You, You have crossed a line that you ought not cross. Now, why did the demon respond to him the way that he did? Why did he... Why did he submit to that authority? He had no choice. And the last thing we need are for demons to be telling everybody about who this Jesus is. We ought to be doing that. That's our job. That's why when we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, we have a story to tell about our own redemption that that demon doesn't have. Jesus tells him to be quiet and to come out of that man. And then crying with a loud voice, he began to convulse, shake on the floor. And everybody's watching this because now we've got an audience here. I, I, speculation, pure speculation. But I can't help but think that this demon is saying, I'm pretty comfortable in this church. This is a nice place. These are good folk. Miss Such and Such, she makes, boy, she makes good chicken and dumplings. I like going to her house. This is awesome. These people, they don't even know that I'm here. They, they're not even uncomfortable about me being here amongst them, right? Now, I would tell you, most likely. This man was demon-possessed. He was not demon-influenced. Because he probably was not a believer, and we don't actually have the Holy Spirit falling upon all people this time to seal and be with him forever. And so what we do actually see here is that in a single command, Jesus performs an exorcism. That's a word that we we use with scary movies, right? But Jesus did that. Now, Now, let me just kind of reel you in for just a second, okay? This is where things get really rocky in spiritual conversations. Because after the book of Acts, there is no other mention of anybody casting out demons and performing exorcisms all the way through Jude. We don't see that. I'm not standing here and telling you that we don't do that. But here's what I am telling you is this. You go messing with dark things like that. You go trying to bring about this gift and you're casting out demons. you're, You're doing it wrong already. Let me just tell you that. Number two, you're opening yourself up to be influenced by, because I'm going to tell you, those demons probably know more about you than you know about yourself, and they're going to use it against you, and they're going to influence that publicly, but, but more than anything, what Jesus just did is what we ought to be doing. It wasn't that he had authority over demons and cast him out, it's that he restored that man. Right, are you paying attention? When we start dabbling into those things about having authority over demons and evil spirits and everything else, look, that, that is, that's nothing compared to the restoration that Jesus does in the life of a new believer. It's not just about having the power to get that evil spirit out. It's about renewing life in that person and bringing them to the cross and giving them salvation. And this was new to all the people that were watching there, even to the point that they began to wonder and say, what is this new teaching with authority? Now, in Matthew's gospel, you've all probably heard the parable of the of the wineskin, right? You don't put new wine in old wineskin because it'll burst. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying. It's not just enough to cast out this demon. I'm going to restore his whole life in entirety. Because if all we're doing is walking around thinking we're going to cast out demons, and we're not telling people how to come to new life in Jesus Christ, all we're trying to do is put new life in old wineskin, and that doesn't work. It doesn't stick. It doesn't happen. It becomes really disruptive. And, 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 and in Jesus' simplicity of this, what Mark is really saying is that Jesus restored this man. He restored him physically, which sometimes has to happen before we get restored spiritually. And sometimes it doesn't happen at all. But he exercises authority, and look what happens after this. When he told the demon to be quiet and not to say anything, all the people began to ask questions and wonder, and his fame spread throughout the region. This is why here's another problem. Are you ready? Now, remember I told you that on the Sabbath, you don't travel. You don't do work. And so have you played the telephone game where you tell one person, they tell the next person? Again, pure speculation, but in my mind, I'm thinking they're all running up right to the edge of the border, right, of where they can't cross without working and saying hey let me tell you what just happened in our synagogue really man we didn't have nothing like that happen in our synagogue and word didn't just spread it said that his fame began to grow throughout the entire region a new teaching with authority when authority shows up it always solicits a response and people are either going to question it challenge it They're going to look for it and recognize it different ways. They're going to see all kinds of ways to reconcile this. But what the demon did and what the people saw was this is a new teaching with authority. that doesn't require all these name drops and everything else because we can't refute what he just got through teaching. And we certainly can't refute what he just did. He brought new life and restoration to them. But then what we see is that immediately again, he left the synagogue and he entered Peter's house. Now, Peter is the only one of the disciples that we think actually was married because we have this mother-in-law, and we also think he was old enough as well, a little bit older than the rest. Because there's a a situation where he and Jesus are walking around, and taxes need to be paid. And if you're under a certain age, you don't have to pay taxes. Isn't that great? And so we see that he's there in in the mother-in-law, and the mother-in-law is sick. And Jesus, what does he do? He does exactly what he did with the demon-possessed man. He restores her health. But but listen, you've all been sick before. You've had a fever. You've been throwing up for hours. You, you don't feel like just getting up and going and serve as soon as you're healthy, right? Like, it takes a couple of days sometimes to get back to your normal self. The full restoration of Peter's mother-in-law. I, I, I doubt very serious that Jesus says, you know, the traditional role of woman is that she ought to be serving us. I think I'm going to heal her so I can get some tea around here. No. No. Listen, when true authority walks into our lives, we're restored. And it says that his mother-in-law, after the fever had left her, she immediately began to serve them. Uh, Friends, we could look at this a lot of different ways, but I'm going to tell you something. When you recognize genuine, real authority in your life, you begin to serve that authority with gladness, with joy. You become a part of what that authority represents and rules over. And this is is exactly what happened with Peter's mother-in-law here. And then the word continued to spread and the fame began to spread. And as we get to to verses 32 and 34, we see that at sundown, the Sabbath has ended. And people are hearing about this. It's probably now they can go past that quarter mile. They can keep on going. They're hearing about this and they're going, they're bringing all kinds of people. Now in those last two verses, I want to really draw your attention to something here. Because this is where I think we sometimes really get into it, particularly in the Western culture that we live in today. It says that people were being healed of many diseases and many demons were driven out. It doesn't say or. And if we're not careful, what we may assign is illness and sickness and behavior and different things to some sort of demonic possession or demonic influence. And that's, that's not to say that, that can't, always, can't be true, because it can be. But it doesn't mean that there aren't just illnesses that are just associated with the human condition and the frailty of our bodies and things that happen. It, it can be both and or either or. But in this situation, what we actually see is that Jesus was doing both, right? He was healing the sick, and he was casting out demons. He wasn't casting out demons because the people were sick, necessarily, okay? But the word got out, and like many, many people, what I'm sure happened here was that they come running for a solution for the temporary in their life, and they got into a place, most likely where their bodies may have been restored, and maybe they didn't respond to the proper authority. They just wanted to take. They just wanted to consume. They just wanted to get better. But Jesus did this by his own prerogative to make himself known because you can't hide things like this. You can't keep this quiet for very long. But it's interesting that he told the demons to be quiet, but the people just couldn't keep their mouths shut. Now, throughout the Scripture, we'll see many times that Jesus will tell Uh, people that he heals don't go tell anybody, and they can't help themselves. They just can't help themselves but go and tell everybody. And so when we see real authority in in, in our life, when we see the authority of Jesus on display, we know that there's going to be different situations, and we're going to respond differently to that. We're going to find ourselves in a place that we need to respond differently than that. But there's going to be times where we're going to find something that just doesn't make a lot of sense to us, and if we're not careful, we may boil it down and oversimplify it or push it to a realm that, that we don't deal with, Right? Oh no, no, that's just an evil spirit. Now, on the other side of the planet, folks, particularly in Africa and Asia and places like that, you feel that 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 evil spirit differently than what you do here in the United States. And part of the reason is that that we've we've given medicine and we've given technology and we've given all those other things more credit for for healing and for making our lives better and all that stuff than than giving God the spiritual reality that He has authority on that. By the way. I'm for medicine, I'm for technology, I get all that stuff, right? But that's still under the authority of God, and it will never reach the full understanding. We will not scientifically ever get to a place that we fully understand God. It's not ever going to happen. But when you get to places like Africa and Asia where they're still sacrificing to idols and to false gods, there is darkness and evil and demonic spirits. I was in Cambodia years ago, and it's the darkest place I've ever been in my entire life. And never really experienced a lot of things like that. But I woke up in the middle of the night with something in the room with me. And it bothered me to a serious extent. The guy I was traveling with was in in a room a couple of doors down. And the next morning goes, how would you sleep? I said, man, I didn't sleep. He said, you know, I woke up praying for you about 3 o'clock in the morning. I said, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Because about 3 o'clock in the morning, I was doing battle with something in my room don't know what that was totally, but i got to tell you something. A demon knows that he can influence me, but he can't possess me because I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. And any interaction that I have with them comes in a couple of different ways. And so here's what I want to share with you next after I've given you all that. How can we make sure that Jesus is the authority in our lives? First and foremost, we don't dabble. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Astrology horoscopes, witchcraft, the occult, we don't, we don't dabble with stuff like that. Ephesians 4.27 tells us that we don't give the devil a doorway. We don't give him a foothold. We don't give him an entrance into our lives to begin to peck away and to influence us. Do we? Are we afraid of it and we just keep it? Hey, nothing wrong with that, but I'm just telling you, don't walk in there and not expect to be influenced don't go to these places. Don't be a part of these things. Don't dabble in those things. Well, what about this, and what about this, and what about that? Let me just tell you just simply, just a big overviewing statement here. If you have to justify any activity, the odds are you probably shouldn't be doing it anyway, and you know it. And you know it, okay? And so what about this, what about this? Listen, you're going to need to come to terms with that, but I'm going to tell you something. This is something that, that a lot of people missed out in those days, and what we're missing out today is that, We understand authority more as loving kindness and protection instead of power and force, the more we understand that authority, the more we get to know the reason that authority operates the way that authority operates in our life. And so if you find yourself dabbling in these things and you're wondering why this stuff's happening, you have invited this junk into your life, okay? Don't dabble. The second thing is don't dilute. Because this is what we do when we get into justification. We start diluting some of these things, and we start normalizing some of these sins, and we think they're just things that happen instead of understanding the full spiritual ramifications of what these things do, and they open up to us. You know, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 20 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, capital S, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Do you catch that? To stop you from doing what you want to do according to the flesh. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We don't dabble in these things, right? And and, and what we do, and this is every culture, not just ours, but we began to dabble into some of these things, and we start to dilute some of the stuff to say, no, 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 everybody's doing this, and so it's okay. Or this person does this. Let me just throw you a little quick cultural reference out there. We call them social media influencers. And it's ridiculous that these influencers do some of these things like a checklist and we elevate them to fame and we elevate them to popularity and we're deluding the truth of God's word It says have nothing to do with that stuff because it starts to break you down. It opens you up to be influenced by evil spirits and demons and all that other stuff. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer, it opens you up to be possessed by them and to become an agent of them, that you act like your father uh, of this world, the father of lies. Now, lest we talk about just the things we don't do, let's talk about the things we should do. Suit up. Put on the full armor of God. The full armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, against the one who would come and influence you, That's the, the one who would bring about something to put in front of you, to entice you, to let you open the doorway, to give an evil spirit or the devil himself an opportunity to make you an influence on others so that it gets normalized and diluted and says, well, look, if he's doing it, everybody else must be doing it too." The bulk of the armor of God are defensive, but there is an offensive weapon that's out there that you have to know how to wield the sword of the Spirit, right? You have to be you have to know how to use that thing. And that's understanding God's Word and knowing those things to protect you against these things. So suit up, put on the full armor of God, which means that, look, if I'm going someplace and I'm wearing the, the uniform I'm supposed to be wearing, I'm not going to go someplace where that uniform's not welcome, right? It's not going to happen. We used to love when I worked at Best Buy when somebody from Circuit City would walk in. They'd be wearing their little uniform, shirt, and everything. Just kinda we just kind of laugh. kind of had this game where we'd walk up and go, we're not hiring. We don't want your kind around here, right? Secondly, speak first. And I think this is a great opportunity for us to look at our witness and how we, we, we talk to others. That we understand what, what Peter wrote you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession that you may, listen, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and in the marvelous light. If you're still in darkness and you like it and you're wallowing in it and you're inviting it and you're diluting it down and saying, no, 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 it's more of a gray than it is a, a, a black, right? It, it's, it, it's it's not really sin. You know, listen, if you're still there, you're not proclaiming the majesties of him. You're not proclaiming how you've been rescued out of darkness. You're, you're, if you're a believer, you're still being influenced. Get those influences out of your life. And one of the best ways to get those influences out of your life is to speak truth of your salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't partially save me. He saved me. He, he didn't say, I'll eventually save you. He saved me, and he's maturing me to be more like him. And he's not raising me up to go out there and be a demon slayer and a demon fighter. That's not my responsibility. What my responsibility is, is exactly what Jesus did when he walked into the synagogue. Is he walked in, and he began to proclaim truth with authority. And that truth with authority is what actually upset that demon-possessed man. That demon-possessed man heard the truth. So when we start talking about how Jesus performed an exorcism and all that, listen, here, here's the thing. We're not called to do that. What we're called is, is to bring the truth to people. And if you want to see their lives restored, they're going to have to engage with the truth. They're not going to have to engage with all these other offensive things. They need to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. And they do so because we proclaim how he's rescued us out of this darkness. And we proclaim the the marvelous things that he's done for us. And in the process of that, it's not about saying that I have authority over demons. It's saying that I've come to restore lives through the name of Jesus Christ by telling them that they still have the ability to make a choice. Or they can still continue to be influenced or worse so, possessed by evil spirits. The devil knows what's going to happen to him. He's not unaware of that. And he wants a lot of company with it. And so our job is to tell the truth, which leads us to the last point. It's just to choose. Titus 3, 5 says, and he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Friends, there is not a demon or an evil spirit or a dark spirit on this planet that is any match for the Holy Spirit of God. Not a one. Not a one. And when we walk by the Spirit and we allow ourselves to be influenced by the Holy Spirit and we speak those truths about our lives and into the lives of others, We find that part of our calling is exactly what Jesus did immediately to go and tell people the truth. And we are the ones to spread his fame. We're not allowed darkness to spread the fame. Because let me tell you what darkness spreading the fame of Jesus looks like in today's world. All those Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, they're a bunch of liars, they're homophobes, they're all these other things. The darkness is speaking out against Christianity because the light that's in us is not speaking up the right way. We're never going to win an argument on reason and rationality and anger and the loudest, but we're never going to do that. But if we live our lives under submission of the authority of God and we speak truth about how God saved us into the lives of others, we're not going to we're not going to have to deal with all that. What well, we're going to watch are restored lives in Jesus Christ, and we're going to watch people grow in Him and learn how to put on that armor of God. And so, my response, my question to you this morning, and, I, and my invitation for you to respond is to consider a couple of weeks ago, some of you wrote those things down on little cards. How many of those things, and I still have them there in my backpack right now, how many of those things may actually be an influence from an evil spirit or darkness that maybe you've let into your life? There's a reason why this is controlling me. There's a reason why I don't speak up is because I'm ashamed of some of the other things that I've done and if, if the world all knew about. Listen, there's no shame in salvation. That shame comes from an evil one. He wants to keep you trapped there and influenced by. Man, those things have been forgiven. My my question to you this morning is, is, is Lord, teach me to surrender to your authority. Because, listen, if you're not surrendering to His authority, then there's another authority in your life that has some sort of power over you. And either it has it because it's taken it, or you've given it to Not to belabor it too much but be careful we can't just speak theology into things right we have to live it out we we can't just this name it claim it stuff doesn't work you have to believe that you're a restored creature a, a, a new life right your new wine going into the new wine skin of the holy spirit now has you but if you're under the influence of a dark spirit or whatever let's let's figure out what that is and how maybe you've invited that in where there's a chink in the armor somewhere so this morning, I was just ask you to pray. Lord, just teach me to submit to your authority. That's the only authority I need to know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus loved us so much that he walked into what would have considered to be a, a safe place, Lord, a, a free speech zone, a, a place where, where he, could, he could walk in and everybody would be all chummy and happy and loving and kind, and he walked in and spoke truth, and it, it caused disruption and questions and challenges. And Lord, we don't, we don't pray for chaos in church. That's not what I'm asking, Lord. But what I'm praying, God, is that we would be wise about knowing the real authority in our life doesn't just cast out demons and make our life all better and all that other stuff. The real authority in our lives restores us completely. And it brings us into the kingdom of God. And it teaches us how to resist demons the devil, and he will flee from us. Not to fight him off and not to to go try to attack him. But, Father, realize that we ought not invest our time in all those other things when we need to invest our time in being more like you and learning more of you and proclaiming the marvelous wonders that you have for us. And so this morning, God, I know that every one of us have something in our lives where we're influenced at the very minimum by dark forces of some sort. So, Lord, open our eyes and our hearts to to, to see, have we opened the door? Have we invited that in? And how do we fix that, Lord? How do we give that over to you? The temptation may be, God, to stop doing this or start doing something different, but what we need to do first is just bring it to you and lay it at your feet. That we would stand in the doorway and ask for healing. And to see your power rise. I pray if there is a dark grip on anybody's life in any area in this church, Father, please, please engage. Holy Spirit, just rain down and, and be the comforter and the strength that that person needs to surrender to the right authority instead of being subjected to an authority. Over God, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. We ask this in his holy name. Amen. Just stand with us this morning and continue to worship?